You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hey listeners, welcome to Just Riding Along. Before we get started, just a reminder to go over to shopmbr.com and go to mountainbikeradio.com slash supportmbr. But first, we do have a sponsor for this episode and a deal that ends July 23rd. And the sponsor is Wasa 24 If you go to wasa 24com it is an awesome 24-hour race. I've done it several times myself in all the distances, uh, solo, team, 24, 12-hour, 6-hour. Uh, if you go to wasa24.com and sign up using the code RAD20, you get 20% off your entry. So that's a deal we just worked up, and we have it uh, just for you. It's RAD20. Go to wasa24.com. That is Saturday, July 29th and Sunday, July 30th in Wausau, Wisconsin. So if you're somewhere in the upper Midwest, come on out, check it out. Uh, I will be racing a team with Matt from Just Riding Along and the guys from uh, the Midwest Cycling Podcast. So we'll have a a four-person team out there. So hopefully we see you out there. Again, go to wausau24.com and use the code RAD20 for 20% off. Uh, they have some new stuff going on this year that I think is noteworthy. Um, there is, uh, they've kind of updated the kids activities. So there's a extended kids course for older riders. There's uh, demo bikes from Cleary Bike Brand, uh, and they have kids races on Saturday. Cost is five dollars and a max per family of fifteen. So bring your kids out and uh, get them on bikes. And then Saturday night they have some live music going on. It's eight to eleven, free admission. So even if you have friends that are going to be out doing whatever, definitely come and check that out. Uh, there's going to be food trucks on site all weekend for racers, support crews, and spectators. And as usual, if you've been out there before, they have a ton of swag. And um, by a ton, I mean piles and piles of stuff. So if you don't leave there with something, uh, it's because you left before they gave it all away. So that's it. I hope to see you out there. Again, go to wasa24.com to get signed up and use code RAD20 to save yourself 20% off your entry. So enjoy this episode, and if you have any questions, comments, whatever, it's ben at mountainbikeradio.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Tire Lever Chainstay Splints and Tire Lever Chainstay Splints again. Um, tonight it is just the, uh, open face duo. Kenny is busy on some the top secret. Duo. <laughs> yeah. We're the open face duo cause he's full face Kenny. So, um, oh, yeah. Man. Uh, some of my coworkers have been listening to the podcast. In case you didn't know, you're kind of a dick. Me? Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it rains sometimes. Like, uh, there's clouds in the sky. Uh, water flows downhill. I mean, do we need to keep saying obvious shit or what? <laughs> it's it's funny because they're like, oh, we listened to an episode and they're talking a little bit, and I was like, and Matt, um, um, I was like, he's kind of a dick, and they're they like laughed and like we didn't want to say anything. <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, you can't just be like vanilla on a podcast and expect people to love it. It's like, I think some people listen just so they can hate it. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. 
It's good. So this episode will go up pretty quick. I want to start with the first couple of orders of business. First and foremost, if you go over to shopmbr.com and in the search box, you put blowout. We got some stuff that's on closeout. It's limited sizes, limited colors. Um, it's all pretty cheap. It all includes shipping. Um, shirts are 15 bucks. We have a, a couple of, or we have a shirt with a stain. It's even cheaper. Um, it's a <laughs> tiny little stain. There's, it's like a little ink mark on it, but so it's like it's nine got bucks. like a big brown skid mark on it somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you pay, you put that in the like order notes. I'll make it happen for you. Like, <laughs> I'm an accommodating box packer. Um, so with all that said, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on over there. And oh, Kenny just texted. Yeah, he uh, forgot. <laughs> uh, cool. So Kenny, I don't know if you can join in. We're going to find out and see We're what happens. find out. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to have to give him a new link. Nope. Same link. Um, Email it to him. No, it's fine. Um, All right. And then the other thing is we have um, show t- donations. So Josh S. from Montana sent over $25. Steve Freeman from Missouri sent over 50 Ooh. Hey, Steve. I know Steve. I know Steve. Um, yeah. We were just talking about you the other night. It's pretty funny. Um, Nathan Phillips from Texas gave 50. Mike L. from New York, 25. And then Jonathan W. from Ontario sent $25. Um, Damn, they're making it rain. Make it rain on you like a thunderstorm. Oh, gosh. My, I don't have my best notes. Steve Friedman memory is when they used to do the Eureka Springs race in Arkansas uh, as like an Omnium. Well, they still do it as an Omnium, but back when it was like an old school style Omnium, it was short track, downhill, tri- observed trials, and then a cross-country race. And he fucking killed the observed trials on his single speed, I think it was rigid, Air 9 Carbon, like the square tubed one. I think he put the seat post down. Weird. Yeah, like I think he put the seat down a little bit, but like he destroyed everybody in the beginner group, which is what everyone who was doing like cross country racing. Like there were some expert people there, but they just went there for the trials. And uh anyone who was doing all the cross country stuff, they um you know, they did like whatever the Cat 4 equivalent was of observed trials and he he killed it. He destroyed it. That's all I got. Cool. Yeah. Um, cool story, bro. Cool story. So we have those. And then things to mention, and I'm going to add this into the show notes. Let me find this here. Um, there was a PV cycling um, article that Adam Murphy sent over to us. Um, and it's pretty cool. So I'll put that in the show notes. Um, that is something that's pretty, pretty good. Um, you should read it, and it'll make you hate your local bike shop even more or love them even more. One of the two. Um, so. Oh, yeah, is it the one about that. the bro deal? Yeah, it's the bro deal one. Yeah, yeah. A little odd to do. I got a new like mothership here and uh, there's just like, this is the first time I'm recording with it. The first time we're using a different program to record. I'm like freaking out a little bit. I'm like, oh, so. Is um, Kenny going to be able to uh, join in? 
I don't know anything about it, so I have no clue. Um, <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, then what else is going on? Um, that pretty much covers it. Oh, water bottles. This is like all mountain bike radio business. Uh, water bottles are being ordered now. Uh, we're, we have our preliminary, like we have the design made and then we're just waiting for long story short, but then specialized like replicates what you submit and they say, you like this and you say yes. And then we order them. So, um, that's still moving on the time. It needs to be a purple one. It, it, it's going to be a lot. I mean, if, if you give me $500, I'll get you purple ones. (laughs) I can't do it. Without that, I can't do that. So, sorry. I'm going to st- start a Kickstarter. No. Go f- go fund me. Andrea wants purple water bottles. Please give me money. No. Sorry. Unfortunately, you have to do color changes in quantities of 50. And, uh, yeah, we're not going to order 50. I, could I trade them maple syrup? No. Specialized SBC does not accept maple syrup as a form of payment. It's right on the custom water bottle website. So apparently it's a recurring <laughs> thing. Maple syrup currency. They don't like Canadians, do they? No, they just uh see uh they they just had a surplus and um, Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. Kenny's on Skype, he says. <laughs> All right, we're back everyone. We have found our full-faced amigo Kenny and we are going to get going. So, um for the sake of brevity, we have a good number of questions. Uh, why doesn't Andrea go first and talk about what we're doing or been doing? We haven't recorded um, in a hot minute, but let's give I the Cliff have, Notes version. I've been working really hard. Uh, it's shop. It's busy season at the shop, so I basically go and kill it for 10 hours a day for four days. And then I have three days off. And having repeated three-day weekends is pretty fucking awesome. And so, um, you know, I, I don't have to like really get into it too much because I've actually been posting a little bit on my blog. And if you're really, really interested to see, um, pictures of the rides I've been doing, cause I've been doing some pretty fucking awesome rides, um, been going on really long rides and high Alpine rides. So just go check it out at brickhouseracing.com. Uh, I have really the best pictures you can get with an iPhone. I don't have a camera. Um, I kind of wish I did, but anyway, um, you can go there and look, you can look at my Instagram and see stuff from the shop and stuff from rides. Um, just since we have so many questions, I don't want to like get all the way into it. Um, the thing about the show being brought to you by the uh, chainstay splint is because, uh, one of our guides, Today, um, he w- he and his, oh gosh, I'm going to fuck it up. I think they're married, wife, Kimberly. Um, they were off in the backcountry, like way the fuck out there in the backcountry, um, doing this really awesome trail called Canyon Creek. And his chainstay broke, like just broke, like sheared all the way through compound fracture style. And they put a tire lever on it. They had gorilla tape that they wrapped around the tire lever, and then they had zip ties that they zip tied it to kind of shore it up, and he was able to roll the not gnarly parts, which is still like, they were, I think he said seven miles out from their car, and uh, 
that trails a lot of gnarly stuff. So he still is walking a lot, but he was able to, you know, at least sit on his bike where it was not all the way gnarly. So that was pretty fucking cool. I put a picture of it on Instagram. Um, I don't know. I did the firecracker 50 race with a teammate. We got third in the co-ed team division, which was cool. Cause we were on single speeds and there were like, I don't know, 60 other teams. Um, yeah, other than work and riding a bunch and Firecracker 50, that's that's pretty much been life so far. Of course, I've got like two or three things. I was like, I got to talk about this on the show. I should write this down. And then I'm like, no, I'll remember it. And now I can't remember it. Yeah, I've definitely forgotten a whole bunch of shit. That was <laughs> going to be cool, but oh well. In our heads, this show is way better. <laughs> um, Cool, so... I committed to doing a 24-hour team with Ben uh, at Wausau 24. So you'll there's a discount code. You would have heard that at the beginning of the show, and that's kind of where it all comes from. So um, we're going to do a 24-hour team at the Wausau 24, and it'll be four-man team, myself, Ben, and then Mark and Sean of the Midwest Cycling Podcast. And we are going to be the podcaster disaster. <laughs> so uh, I'll do my first 24-hour race um, coming up here in two weeks. I'm pretty nervous, actually. So I've actually been riding my bike. And I've been uh, doing intervals. And part of that is I've now decided that I'm going to set up some Strava segments in Hayward that are, one, they're either over two minutes and not a mountain bike race. So that's the only two things you find here is two minute hills and then mountain bike races. So uh, are you, have you guys decided how you're going to do it? Like, is everyone going to, is it going to be one lap at a time? Like hot laps, one hot lap at a time. Damn. That's gnarly. Ben will, ben will be first. Cause there's a pretty good Le Mans start. Uh, and he'll, he'll be our ringer runner. Um, so, and then I don't know me and Mark, no, me and Sean will probably like have to like rock, paper, scissors to see who goes number two. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the majority of what I have going on. I set a 16 minute Strava segment today and I think people's heads are going to blow off. So pretty excited oh, about that. It's like the same thing in Memphis. Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, I've, uh, I have done two NICA practices now. So I'm a NICA coach and I've done two practices. So it's pretty what cool. What does NICA stand for? Uh, National Interscholastic Cycling Association. Okay. I think. Just so people know. Don't don't quote me on that. The high you're schoolers. Kids how to, yeah, you're teaching like high school age kids how to ride mountain bikes. Yep actually teaching them how to be good people, but whatever, that's a bigger, bigger topic than we have for tonight. So, um, <laughs> good yeah, luck with so, that. yeah, there's that. Um, and that's kind of it that we have going on. Um, I'm really tired. We worked an event yesterday and just got home and got to bed late and just kind of was off all day and that. So whatever. Um, yeah. Kenny, anything? Did you get breaks? So I guess I'll just go on the NICA thing. NICA is huge here in Salt Lake City. 
it's really cool to see like there's practices all the time and yeah it's it's just really cool to see it in general so uh, as a shop i'm gonna hope we're gonna try to support it even more we do a lot i think probably more than most other shops do uh, but i like to be out there physically um you know doing a little bit more site support and that kind of stuff definitely you know from a shop standpoint we do pretty good with it uh but anyway just really cool to see if man i'm just so jealous if we had that in high school fuck oh, i mean I know, that would have right? been amazing i ran cross country which i mean it wasn't the worst thing in the world but it was up there close to the worst thing in the world <laughs> and so, man God, if we had the mountain bike thing it would just be amazing but um and we i mean i understand we didn't have the mountains we just didn't have the people it's just not it's not going to happen but out here it's just such a big lifestyle thing it's just so cool that the schools really embrace that it's it's awesome and this so, is just i'm going to go on a mini tangent here and we've talked about this on other shows i think but i just want to bring it up again because it's just on my mind it's so funny how we push traditional like you know ball sports basically and we're just used to that like there's nothing wrong with it you know there's all kinds of cool stuff out there there's soccer and lacrosse and tennis and football and baseball and all the shit under the sun and basketball. But at the end of the day, most of those things are extremely difficult to play when you're older. Yeah. Like you don't do that as a hobby. You don't. I mean, some people kind of, you know, there's like the, I don't know, the, the office basketball team and shit. But what's so cool about the mountain bike thing is like, you can go just as hard as you can in high school as you do when you're 50. And right. like, it's this, it's really the same. The essence of it is exactly the same, whether you're 17 years old or if you're 50 and that's really cool. And that's something you can take with you and it's really good for you. Uh, so anyway, I, I just think it's so cool that it's becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, and just the number of trails being built out here is, is unbelievable. They're everywhere. Every day someone's like, Oh yeah. Did you go ride that new trail? And when they say go ride that new trail, it's not some random ass trail that somebody like bushwhacked. It's like full blown machine built, like awesome trail. And when, just because it's machine built doesn't mean it's shitty or not rocky or not techy or any of that kind of stuff. It just means that someone did it right. Like it's freaking cool. Uh, and I think they do it just for speed purposes as well. Uh, they just get in there and do it and they're out. Uh, so you cool. You mean it's though. better than the trails that someone flagged uh, at a e walking e pace easy easy just <laughs> i don't I, I don't have the energy to get into that one today no no we shouldn't but it's just it's amazing <laughs> out here i mean the number of trails it's mind-boggling i mean i see new stuff every single day so um just really cool i just in general i just am so happy to see the nika thing being popular and trails being built and um yeah it's all good so other than the Nike thing, uh, what's new with me? I've been riding a whole bunch, just trying new trails, riding with new people, doing a bunch of shop rides at night. That's been a new thing. We're trying to do like a week, weekly uh, nighttime shop ride with all the shop people. And that's what's been the, super fun. I've been trying to like get in here edgeways so I can pry this out of you. What's the name of the shop? Uh, what do you mean? Well, the you, name. I don't change. know if you've ever if you've ever publicly said which shop you're working at now. Oh, I think I have. It's uh, yeah, but it's they actually, this the is a, yeah, this is a funny thing. So it's Canyon Bicycles right now, uh, which has four locations kind of in and around Salt Lake City. 
but we're going through a name change. I don't think it's 100% official yet, so I don't want to go down that road, but they are changing names. And maybe it, it even got brought up in past episodes or whatever. And it's not no, that it's big like a on, deal. I saw it independent of you. It was like on Facebook or like like somewhere else. Yeah. So as of right now, and it, things could change, okay. but right now, so we're called Canyon Bicycles. And the problem is there has been confusion. Now, th- this guy's Canyon Bicycles was first. Uh, but Canyon bicycles, like the frame manufacturer, the, I believe they're German, they've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And they actually offered to buy the owner out basically not the bike shop, but they just want to buy the name. Uh, and it's just extremely expensive to do that because when you really get to thinking about it, it's like not only merchandise and actual signs in the stores and website stuff and, just the loss of that brand that you built over the years, right? I mean, that's a big thing. The reason that Coca-Cola is worth money is not because it's sugar water. It's because it says Coca-Cola and the label looks the way it does. It's just this recognizable thing, right? So, um, I mean, I get it. And I think they, yeah, they ponied up basically, I believe. And um, yeah, they're going to change the name. So uh, I don't have the official, just know that there is a name change coming. Um, So if people are kind of local, uh, just keep a heads up for that. So we're not changing oh, ownership, right. not changing the stores. All we're doing, it's just that the Canyon Bicycles, German manufacturer, frame manufacturer, they just wanted to not cause any more confusion um, because, you know, people would like call us and vice versa. Um, it was it was becoming a little bit of an issue because uh, we're right. a pretty big shop. So anyway, that's... I did have a... I know you've, you've mentioned it before because last time I talked to Nate at SRAM... He said uh, something about calling the shop and asking about Kenny and whoever he talked to was like, who the fuck are you talking about? Uh, What do you? Oh, like, oh, yeah. Okay, that's funny. <laughs> I need to talk with Nate. Oh, by the way, so I've got a little thing to share here because, hey, this is what we do on this show. People, if they don't like it, they can fuck off. I don't really care. <laughs> so the deal is I called SRAM the other day. Uh huh. And I just want to put this out in the open. And I hate throwing people under the bus, but if you're a fucking dick to me, you're getting thrown under the bus. <laughs> so SRAM employee Paul uh, was a total dick to me on the phone. And it was about a guide warranty. And I'm getting fucking sick of guide warranties. Absolutely sick of them. I spend so much time now. It's This is the Elixir thing all over again. Like, <laughs> this is not even a joke. I warrantied, me personally, last week, I warrantied six pairs. Like, that's not acceptable. Uh, as a shop, we did like 10 plus in a week. Yeah, I know we have one in the shop right now waiting for levers, and we did one last week. Yeah, so that's not cool. So here, the really not cool part about it is this, uh, and I don't, yeah, I think I touched on this show, on last show, but not what the resolution was. So S-Works bike going out the door, $10,000 bike roughly, a little bit less than that. Customer goes and rides it outside. It's sunny out, brakes lock up in the parking lot, which is not cool because it makes us look bad. It makes the S-Works look bad, and it's the brakes' fault. It's SRAM's fault. Um, so customer still agrees to buy the bike, and we assure him we're going to get the brakes fixed. Call SRAM, say, hey, these are dead, brand new bike on the floor. Wait, is this Send a different s- one than before? Same one. Oh, it's, okay. It's, got, it's gotten deep. Uh, so anyway, it's got 
RS carbon levers, which is an OEM only thing. And I understand that that's a pain in the ass for SRAM, but SRAM is the one that offers to do it. So don't bitch at me that you made some special shit for specialized. You agreed to do it. You need to fucking support it. But anyway, RS carbon levers, which is basically non-contact adjust, but the it's got the little pivoty thing in the lever. I guess all guide levers have that. Uh, but carbon lever blades, okay? So whatever. They say, oh, we don't have that lever. We're going to send you out regular RS levers and just swap over the lever blade. I'm like, okay, that's a pain in my ass, but whatever. Just do it. They come out here. They don't have the nice little ball bearing pivot on them. I'm like, that fucking blows. It's even more shit I got to swap over. And then I get to looking at it closer. And it's a different fucking size. The little ball bearing is a larger OD than the little plastic bushing thingy. And I'm not retarded. Like, I looked at this close. Made sure there was no extra pieces in there. It's wrong. I got pictures of it, by the way, with a caliper. It's, like, not even close to fitting. Call him back and say, hey, like, we got to do something about this. This guy's levers had the ball bearings in them and all that stuff. And now you're going to, like, downgrade them to these little bushing thingies. And it's a pain in my ass. I got to swap even more crap over. And it doesn't even fit anyway. And this gentleman, Paul, is the one that answered. Gentleman. And told me that I was fucking wrong. That he has personally swapped over the little bearing for the bushing. And I'm like, yeah, dude, maybe there is some lever that that swaps. I'm looking at both of these in front of me now. I'm not fucking retarded. I have a caliper in front of me. I've got everything pulled out. It does not fit. And he's like, he got like mad at me, basically. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, they work. There's only one casting for this lever or whatever and it works i'm like it fucking doesn't man <laughs> and i'll post i'll post these pictures and i'll let you guys look at them let the readers see what you think or listeners we're not fucking readers anyway <laughs> um this is like the most times that kenny has said fuck i think yeah in one episode i love this Dude, two it, mad it, kenny's in a row we're on a roll it just made me really pissed off because i'm already wasting my time and I already pissed off a customer and almost lost this customer. And now SRAM is getting pissed at me, telling me that I'm an idiot. And I wanted to come through the phone and punch that dude in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's only just, funny because Kenny never wants to punch anyone. No. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like, don't call me a fucking idiot unless you're fucking right, is basically what I'm getting at. Um, it's not like he told you, no, they fit. And then you put calibers on it. You're like, oh, right. Yeah, oh, sorry, there's an extra little piece in here I didn't pull out or something like that. It's a different casting. It just is. Or it's, you know, they bored it out more in the, you know, last process or whatever. Maybe at one point it was the same casting, uh, but there was more machine work done on the bearing one or whatever. It doesn't fucking fit. Like, it just doesn't. So I don't know if it's some OE lever that he's not aware of or something like that. I don't know. But it just doesn't work. So he basically, like, sighed audibly on the phone and is like fine man what do you want me to do about it and i'm like dude yeah you need to send out some like guide ultimate levers because that would be the closest equivalent to get this guy rolling on his ten thousand dollar bike with your nicest shit and he basically said okay and hung up the phone <sighs> so anyway I, he might have been having a bad day but like that's just not acceptable at all was it was it a monday did he have a case of the Mondays? It might have been a Monday, but anyway, you know, I was already pissed off enough that I had to deal with this a second time because now it's been like three weeks that this guy's 
bike has been out of commission now. Yeah, and you have to like call him and be like, hey, man, I'm really sorry, but SRAM sent some stuff out that we can't use. And, and the customer not- doesn't understand that. The customer assumes that I'm an idiot now. Right. And it all goes back to SRAM. Uh, so if the guy would have just sent the right shit to begin with and just upgraded levers, it's like, look, it's not my fault that you guys don't have a lever here. It's They need to step up and send me the right shit, even if it's one step nicer. And it's not like it's some unbelievably nicer lever. It's like the little babyest step nicer lever. It, it's complete non-issue. So, I mean, it's not like some guy that had 396 entry-level $60 Shimano brakes and they're upgrading them to XTRs or whatever the SRAM equivalent would be. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. So anyway, I just want to share that little nugget. So maybe it gives you an insight sometimes to what we have to deal with. Uh, I mean, most of the time, SRAM is great. They really are. We've talked good about their customer service, but damn, like this one really pissed me off. And I'm already just pissed off enough that I have to deal with these guide things. That was probably the same guy that told me to Google that part for a reverb. Yeah, should it's just, just start, not cool. Anytime there's a problem at SRAM, we're just going to blame Paul. It's like, look, if you don't like your job, then don't fucking do it. it it's just as simple well, it as that. sounds like he's doing that. Yeah, exactly. So maybe he's no longer with the company. Uh, but damn, like that's just not cool at all. If you don't want to give people info, you know, then find another job. If you don't want to be nice to people, find another job. Um, yeah, and it's not like that person that answers the phone in warranty like design of that part, like don't get butthurt about it. Like it's not like we came into your house and slapped your dog and said your dog's ugly. Like <laughs> maybe that's the maybe that's the guy. Uh, maybe that's the taper bore guy. You know, I don't know. <laughs> maybe they you know they put him on phone duty or something. I have no idea. <laughs> you invented uh, taper bore. So, We're gonna make you answer customer service calls forever. <laughs> so I want to blow through a couple of questions that we have because they piggyback on what Kenny is talking about. Oh, and the thing with, uh, sorry, Nate had his email said that someone at Canyon had called in and Nate asked that person how the ultra famous guy was doing. And the guy was just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That's funny. That's funny. Well, it's, I, I don't talk about it at work cause I'm not fucking weird. Uh, but some people have found out that I do the show and it's, it's pretty funny when they do, they have like that aha moment. They're like, Oh yeah, my friend told me you were on that show. And then I listened to the show and it's like, holy shit. Anyway, it's just. It's pretty funny when people pretty much everyone in my shop knows. Yeah, that's, that's cool. But, yeah. uh, yeah, it could have been another shop too. Cause we have four locations and I don't yeah, really yeah. deal with the other ones that much, but, uh, yeah, that was my SRAM experience. Not super duper positive. So hopefully they can rebound from that and not continually screw me. And, but yeah, so this guy thing is not going to go away by the way. Like I'll let you get to your thing, Matt, but like we're probably going to see, I'll bet you money that at my shop, just because so much specialized stuff has guides on them and we sell bigger bikes out here. So there's even more guides. So it's all like, uh, Enduros and Stumpies and all that kind of stuff. And they all had fucking guides on them. So we're probably, I'll bet you money that we're going to go through at least a hundred of them, hundred pairs in warranty easy. But anyway, go on Matt. So Chris from Maryland says, I had to write in after Kenny's rant. I, too, am in a love-hate relationship with SRAM. On my current bike, my 2016 Transition Scout, I've had the following SRAM parts fail in, fail in, over, uh, fail in over the past year and a half. I just kind of, something there wasn't, oh, fail. I was thinking that it was failing in over. And I'm like, what? Um, so the Monarch RT3 shock, the damper switch failed and it was fixed via warranty. 
guide ours had sticky levers when hot and new levers came via warranty. Pike, a new CSU was sent. And when the fork was disassembled, a bunch of junk fell apart. The damper fell apart. Um, and then the shop was able to reassemble, rebleed, and build everything back together. And then there was a 700 series hub that had play in the axle, and the bearing got all crunchy within three months, and SRAM was no help, so he replaced it with a DT350. Uh, he says, the nice thing is SRAM got me fixed in almost every occasion. However, should I have had the failures in the first place? Quality control problems? Question mark. Uh, regardless, two-year warranty on off-road parts is amazing, but you are going to need it! Exclamation point. On a bright side to all, or yeah, he's like, on a bright side to all this, I found an amazing shop to take care of me. Shout out to Trailworks in Annapolis, Maryland. I did not buy the bike through them, but in all cases, when they did the RMA work, I paid them to install the parts. So good on you, Chris, for that. Um, or you and Trailworks for both standing up for your business and then acknowledging that things cost money on your side. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Like it sucks that we have to use the warranty process so much. Right. But at the same time, like SRAM usually does a good job of fixing it. I mean, I mean this is on the heels it, of, go ahead. I was going to say, is it more, um, I don't know. Is it that that stuff, broke because it's SRAM or is it just because there's just so much of it out there that we see it more often? I think it's a combination. I think there's not quality, there's not proper quality control in place and they're getting, try to be maybe a little bit too quick, a little too greedy. I don't know all the details of that, but the sheer number of guide breaks out there, for example, I mean, it's unbelievable. There might not be in the future because, you know, uh, vendors, or manufacturers rather and bike shops got burnt once on the elixir thing. And yeah. you saw almost no bikes with SRAM brakes there for probably two or three years. They just did, weren't there. Well, was there was also the first run of XX brakes that the, uh, that lining on the inside of them, uh, basically dissolved inside of the brake. Yeah. That's a really neat trick. Um, <laughs> so I think it's a combination. Long story short is, there's so many out there. Of course, we're going to see some, but I mean, I can't make it up. I can basically take any single one of the bikes on the floor right now, go set it in the sun for 10 minutes and the lever will be broken. That's just not acceptable. How the, how the fuck does that happen? So, I mean, I don't know if the breakdown was in a bad design or the breakdown was in, it worked when they sent it to their manufacturing facility and then manufacturing facility sourced the wrong part the wrong seal I, I don't really know i don't really even care uh the fact of the matter is they're failing so yeah it's just it's it, anyway we don't need to talk about the guy thing anymore i'm going to get really pissed off well there's yeah. one more baby question and then you can be mad at a different company when you answer it okay sure so michael moore says hope breaks why not kenneth um, or actually that was my thing I added in. So, uh, he says, cause he had sent a question and it was like, why didn't you try to run hopes, um, on your bike instead of guides or Shimano? Yeah, cause, uh, if you go way on the way back machine, uh, you don't have to go back in time and fuck yourself. Just go back in time and listen to <laughs> some old podcasts. Uh, but anyway, I had hope breaks and I did like them a lot. They're really good, really good modulation, decent weight. They look good. 
Uh, just that nice solid lever feel to them, like not too squishy or anything goofy. Uh, but I bought the race M fours when they first came out. So this is probably 2011 or 12 and I ran them for two or three years, which is a long time for brakes. I went through quite a few set of brake pads and like, I can't be too pissed that they died. That's not really the issue with me. They did die. And the problem is I got a lot of other customers on the race M fours and you know, it was on my recommendation. And then they all started failing like super early on with all kinds of weird, various issues. But basically what would happen is it would have zero piston retraction. It's kind of the classic brake problem. I don't know what was failing. I don't know if it's a lever part or caliper part or both. I tried all kinds of things, rebuilding the calipers, rebuilding the levers, and they just felt exactly the same. So they changed something in their manufacturing or in their quality or something along the lines or the seal vendor. I have no idea. But they started being shitty, like even close to being shitty out of the box. And uh, they had other weird things too, like the black anodization in the sun would turn purple in like a week. And then you had purple breaks. Uh, so that's not really cool. So I'm, I was kind of burnt on the hope thing. And the big problem was not even that they were failing. It's that the hope distributor, I guess in the U S was in somewhere in like Dallas, Texas or something like that. And I have a feeling I never really did the research cause I just didn't care. I have a feeling they're not actually hope that they're just a third party that took on the name like hope America, but it was just some dude's business. And maybe it was a side thing. I don't know. They ran the warehouse and they ran the support and they just sold all the shit. You know, they'd buy whatever they needed from UK and then they would sell it to Q and Holly and all the other distributors and bike shops and all that shit. The problem is they didn't give a crap about any kind of warranty or any kind of service. I had issues with messed up rotors and tons of messed up brakes and all kinds of other problems and they were just complete dicks on the phone. They're just like, oh, yeah, you're just not setting them up right. I'm like, dude, I had a set of these things for two or three years. They were fine. Why are all your new ones shitty? Like, I set this thing up, and there is, like, you cannot get any retraction at all on the pistons. Brand new brakes. Oh, yeah, man. Just, uh, yeah, just uh, put uh, squeeze dot fluid on the uh, on the pistons, and that'll fix it. I'm like, dude. A, I'm not doing that because that's ridiculous. And I, what, I have to do that every ride or something? Uh, <laughs> and B, that doesn't solve it anyway. So they they tried to do all kinds of stuff. I sent brakes into them to look at them. I'm like, look, if you don't believe me, try them. So I mailed them back to them. And they're just like, oh, well, we didn't really see any issue with them. I'm like, bullshit. Did you put them on a bike? No, we didn't really put them on a bike. Anyway, they just, the people over there didn't give a shit. So I was so over hope. So that's my hope story. Did you light them on fire? No, I mean, they didn't make me like that angry. It's just, it was a bummer because it was a break at the time that I think was an alternative to, you know, the King, which was Shimano and an absolute, uh, it's a very good break compared to like an elixir of the time. So I was just bummed because I thought I found a decent alternative that was light and looked good and seemed to be reliable and had a good feel, but yeah, I had a pair of the X2s, I think. Like yeah. whatever the really light ones are. And they sure. were, it was back like in when I had like an alloy jet nine, but you know, they were, they were good. I like them. Those were formulas. Or no, the, whatever bike I had after that, I guess the first jet nine carbon that I had. I no, you had them on your jet nine carbon. I remember that. Yeah. 
you did have them. You had formulas on your, you had the R1s on your Jet 9 alloy, and you definitely had the X2s on your Jet Carbon, because I remember when I rode them. Yeah, they they were decent brakes. And again, I wish, I really do wish that they had better support uh, and that they were a little bit more reliable, because when they did work, I thought they were really good. They made good power, quad piston. Um, They weren't like super heavy DH brakes. Yeah, we basically can't. We have to recommend that everyone just not use brakes on their bike because, <laughs> um, I mean, in Shimano, you've got the issue of like how bad, like Shimano's business ethics are just are worse than any of the physical problems that other brakes have. It's bad. I mean, I hate to be so negative, but, you know, maybe I need to not just not be so negative, but I'm just sharing my experiences with people and you guys can take them for whatever you want. There's going to be people that have good experiences with hopes and good experiences with SRAMs. Um, I had, my SRAMs were good for a year and a half and then they died. Um, and maybe I should just not worry about it and just say, Oh yeah, SRAM's going to warranty him. And they did. They sent me all new brakes, like top to bottom that are on eBay. Uh, but let me get them. I just, I just don't really want to, I don't want to deal with that. And it's, it's tough. I get it. Brakes are like super difficult to get perfect and be perfect all the time. But I mean, surely someone can do it. And over the years, people have done it, but they haven't had all the pieces of the puzzle in there. Like they either are super reliable, but they're heavy and they just don't make very good power. They don't modulate very well or vice versa. They got some, you know, maybe four out of five of the things they've got nailed down, but then they break after a year or whatever it is. It's it's just difficult to get the entire package on brakes. So the levels have been good so far. Hopefully somebody can come through and uh, even in the heat. I've had my levels in the sun and they've been okay. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So again, I don't know if it's just a, a certain run of these breaks with the issue. And it's also annoying to me that, you know, obviously there's an issue. I don't think anybody can argue that there's not an issue with the guides at this point. And I don't know when this happened, but apparently it's been happening for a while because I had the absolute pretty much first run of guide breaks that had the like gen one caliper and mine died in the same exact fashion that some of the newer ones are dying. So, I mean, I'm just going to spitball a number here and say at least a solid year or two of manufacturing, there was some major problem. And that's like pretty shitty. And I guess they're terrified to do another brake recall because nobody would ever buy any of their brakes ever again. But, uh, oh, so on the brake thing, this is totally random tangent. But I felt a bike for the first time. Surprisingly enough, I've had a bunch of ETAP bikes and they've all been rim brake for whatever reason. But I finally felt a pair of the actual uh, ETAP hydros. And I didn't realize that the ETAP hydro brake system is like a totally different brake setup. Like the lever's different, the reservoir's different, the caliper's different. It's totally different. Because I thought that one of the worst feeling brakes of any brake I've ever felt in my entire life road, mountain, cantilever, Walmart bike, gyro, BMX bikes one of the <laughs> worst feeling brakes I've ever felt in my entire life have been the hydraulic road SRAM stuff. It's just, they feel just so shitty. They're like this weird squishiness at the beginning and you can feel it's just like plastic parts starting to mesh together and then it kind of moves the piston, but the actual piston movement is like two millimeters on the lever and then, yeah, and they have no piston or traction whatsoever and they're fucking terrible. But the new ones, uh, the full-blown like ETAP deal, and I don't know what they call them, if they have like the a different name for the lever or something. Maybe you guys know that. But anyway, I pulled one the other day and maybe it was just a fluke. Maybe it was like one of the one in a thousand brakes that feels the way it's supposed to. 
but damn, like that thing felt nice. It was solid. Uh, it had like a really good linear pull to it. You could actually tell like you're moving fluid right from the get go. And maybe I'm just super picky about brake levers. And I'm sure that I am, but these just felt good. They felt right. So I'd like to, you know, actually go ride a pair and see if like, or maybe find another customer's bike that has them and see if they're actually the same. So I don't know if you guys have had that experience or if you've ridden them or not. No, I haven't. And, uh, I'm, I'm still a fan of BB sevens. <laughs> BB sevens were okay, man. I had those on my single speed. They never failed. And for the road, I don't think there's a better feeling brake. And when you talk about lever feel, my brakes work in the tape. So the lever has a lot of throw to it, but it's, I keep my pads dialed way out. So I never get rotor ching out of the saddle or anything. I love it. So I'm Sweet. really happy. So. Good to know. Uh, probably should move on to the next question before I start ranting on anything else. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so Mike D from the internet says, Hello, JRA crew. I love the show, and I hope you have all settled in well at new locations, or at the new locations. I live in Kentucky, and in the past year and a half, have gotten into mountain biking. There was a, in the last year and a half, have. So one of those halves should have been half. In the past year and a half, gotten into mountain biking, I ride a specialized camber size medium with a dropper. I'm 5'10 or 11-ish and 150 pounds. Michael doesn't even know how tall he is. <laughs> <laughs> recently when riding the trail, this is why people think I'm an asshole. Uh, recently when riding the trails here, I've been getting pretty bad lower back pain when I put the seat down and pedal on the flat to slight decline parts of the trail, and it continues to hurt in the raised saddle position as well. I've never had any back problems or anything like that. Do you guys have any idea what could be causing this? Thanks for the help, Michael. Are you wearing a pack? Mm, I don't know. He didn't say, but I had a really good, I had a strong theory, but it's just that. So I don't know what the muscle's called, but like whatever muscle connects your hamstring and your butt and your back together. If you lower the saddle, you have to increase your hip angle to like make a full rotation. So that if that muscle's too tight, then maybe you're actually, his you're like hip angle is measured like femur with like the the corner of the angle being your hip joint and then the top of it being your your torso. So you're when you lower the saddle, you're decreasing the angle. Sorry, I, you're increasing the amount of hip crunch. Let's say yeah, yeah, uh, which so. would make your muscles around your butt stretch further, or if you can't move those muscles that far, like if you can't re raise your knee up level with your nipple, that's the way I like to think of it, um, then maybe you're twisting your back to go through the top of the pedal rotation. But that's a bike fit question. I don't know the answer. Yeah, that was one thing that um, like that Natalie from Pedal Fit that she noticed with Matt was that his saddle was a little too narrow. So he had one seat bone on the saddle and one off the saddle. And so he was sitting crooked and a Caddy little twist. Wampus. Yeah, like, so not only was one hip lower than the other, one seat bone was kind of in front of the other as well. So, you know, that, that can definitely, that can cause all sorts of shit to happen. Like, that's, so there, it's probably mostly like a bike fit thing, but I would say if you're using a pack, that would be the first thing I would try to ditch. Um, I, you know, I, I, my bike fit is good. 
Um, you know, I, I have a very strong core. I do everything that I should do to not have back pain. And if I wear a pack, my back hurts a lot. So, you know, as it is right now, I use either a frame bag with a, uh, a hydration reservoir in it, or I use bottles and I will take a filter. I use the MSR trail shot. Uh, I take a filter with me and I will just filter water as I need it because up in the high country, there's water everywhere. There you have it. Um, but there's lots of ways like with, with bike packing stuff, even if you don't bike pack, um, there's lots of ways to carry extra water just to not have it on your back. So just kind of get creative about that. If you are using a pack and see if that helps you. Boom. All right. Kevin from Connecticut. Hey y'all. Love the show. I started listening while searching for a mountain bike podcast. I spend a lot of time in the car for work and listening to podcasts or and listen to podcasts often to distract myself from paying attention to driving because that seems to be out of style these days. Anyways, I found the podcast a little abrasive at first, but quickly learned that you guys have a lot of knowledge to go along with your opinions and have grown to really enjoy your dialogue. It <laughs> is now my yourself. favorite podcast. <laughs> Do what? I told him to go fuck himself. It is now my favorite podcast, and I downloaded the NBR app so I can go back and listen to the old podcast. So I mainly want to drop a note that says I really like what you do and say thanks. Also, I find it interesting how uh, Andrea, Matt, and Kenny really seem to like XC bikes. You don't see many here in Connecticut, maybe because of the rocky ground, but maybe because marketing seems to favor trail and all mountain. What do you guys think of the Trek Pro Caliber and the ISO Speed Decoupler? I enjoy riding hardtails. I don't race, but most of the riding is technical XC riding. I don't do many big jumps or anything like that. Is it worth throwing a leg over, or would I need to shave my legs and bring a trainer with me on rides to own one? And he finishes <laughs> by saying, who got that hydro, who got that light green, who got that Bobby Brown? Not me. Kevin from <laughs> Connecticut. That's awesome. Um, I like that. I mean, I, I have a boon that has the ISO speed decoupler in it. And I, I notice a difference. Like it, it rides as smooth as a titanium bike and it is, I mean, it's carbon, so it's as stiff as carbon. Um, so I think it's a nice thing to have if that is your budget is a carbon pro caliber. Um, and that's like the best bike you can get. I think that's good. But if you're looking for like a cross country dickhead bike, I think even a full suspension, cross-country dickhead bike is better than a pro caliber but if you just want a hardtail and you want one that's like a nice riding hardtail then i'd go for it i like it boom i can't disagree. yeah i mean i'll chime in and say big bikes have gotten a lot better over the years without a doubt um the new crop of big bikes are just even that much better because of boost and shorter chain stays and all that kind of crap so i wouldn't say don't buy a long bike we just realize that you can go pretty damn fast in a lot of places on a XC ish full suspension bike. doesn't mean it's the right answer for you at all. Um, and I'm, you know, out, I live in gnarlier stuff than I used to. So I wouldn't be opposed to getting a bigger bike and, you know, Connecticut might be the same way. It's just got bigger stuff and people like to do, you know, maybe it's shorter, techier, steeper stuff where a bigger bike makes sense. I don't really know. I haven't ridden in Connecticut, but, uh, also, the flip side of that is a lot of it's marketing because there's a lot of dudes out there and dudes, when they see something, they're like, Oh, why the fuck would I buy 
a 100 millimeter millimeter bike when I can buy a 140. They're like, oh, fucking decision made. I'm buying the 140. That's way cooler. Yeah, I mean, there are people that are buying bikes based on house. Like, they want the bike that has the slackest head tube, the steepest seat tube. Oh, that was one thing I was going to rant about. I'll get back to that in a minute. Can we not, please? (laughs) (laughs) But it's like the stage thing. So back to the car thing. You know, people that are inexperienced, they see, oh, yeah, stage four clutch. I'll buy a fucking stage four clutch. Why the fuck would I buy the stage (laughs) one? And it's like, dude, have you driven the stage four clutch? Holy shit. Like it's going to, you know, it's going to rip parts off your car when it engages. It's just ridiculous. Um, And it's like, dude, if you have to drive your car around every day, why would you do that? Just like, hey, if you have to actually pedal your bike, maybe you don't want this ridiculously slack bike, you know. So it has its place. Just like a stage four clutch has this place in a fucking drag car. Uh, but anyway, it's that same mentality. A lot of guys who are inexperienced, they look at the marketing stuff and they're like, oh shit, man, look at that 140 bike. That thing looks sick. Why would I buy a, why would I want a Fox 32 and they make a Fox 36 shit? Uh, and they go buy the big bike and they don't know any better. They so, go to the well, store and, and there's like a special pack of underwear with six instead of five and they're like, fucking yeah, more. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think it's kind of like how, you know, enduro racing, it was kind of like along with getting slacker and getting lower bottom brackets, uh, everyone wants super wide bars. And then I saw an article where they had asked all of the racers or a lot of the racers at a race in, uh, gosh, was it New Zealand or Australia? I think it was New Zealand, probably. Um, there was a narrow spot on the course. And they said, how wide are your bars? And are you riding at that width because of that narrow spot on the course? And then probably half the responses were, I ride my bars at X, which was something that was not stupidly wide, like 750 or 740 or 60 or something, you know, somewhere in the mid 700s. I'll dig it up and put it in the show notes. The number of sub 750s was like, made me very happy. Right. And... They, um, you know, and, and a lot of them said, I used to ride my bars wider, but I like them better like this. And I think that's the first step in people realizing that just going with like the thing that is like the caricature of your sport, like the, the longest travel, slackest, widest bars, lowest bottom bracket, like that may not be what's right for everyone in the sport. Like there's someone out there that's the perfect fucking bite for them, you know? But for a lot of people, it's not. Cool. And I think, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit of a trend. And it's one of those things where people, some people are going to realize like they're going to have their, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say SB6 because I pick on Yeti and <laughs> they're going to have their, uh, you know, Enduro 9000 with a 64 degree head tube angle and a 170 millimeter travel fork and a bottom bracket that you, you know, like you can't hit a rock and pedal because your pedals will slap the ground. Like, you know, people with that bike are going to be like, shit, I made a mistake. And it's going to start trending the other direction as far as like the most popular bike out there. Hopefully, hopefully. Right. I would agree with most of that. So, yeah. Next question. John from the Internet. Hi, congrats on the moves. Hope the change in scenery is treating everyone well. Two things on my mind. One, 
Do you think I'll need to be concerned about availability of high-quality 27.5 XC wheel sets in standard non-boost spacing anytime soon? I can see most manufacturers have moved to boost frames, and I recognize that 27.5 wheels are not the normal for XC. I'm just hoping to get many more years out of my 27.5 non-boosted highball. Not really interested in carbon, but I hope quality aluminum 27.5 XC wheel sets will still be around for a few more years at least, or should I stock up now? Um, So that was the first question, and... Yeah, so I'll chime in real quick there, and I'd say don't be scared because you can always just build a wheel set. There's yeah, that's gonna, what I was There's going to be hoops out there, and there's going to be hubs out there. So you just get some spokes, and boom, done. Easy. Yeah, like just go ahead right now and get a really awesome set of non-boost hubs. And you can always just change the spokes and the rims as you break spokes and rims. Exactly. That's what I said. They're always going to make DT350s. And they'll always make alloy rims. So you'll right. be, you're fine. I don't fine. think Industry 9 is going to stop making non-boost hubs. Yeah. For a long, long time. Like, it's going to be a long time before that happens. It's going to be a long time. Yeah. going to exactly. have to send it. <laughs> um, so I love Larry the Enticer, by the way. We need yeah. to get some kind of Larry Can we get Larry the on the show? That'd be amazing. I, I hate to do, I want to do like a little t-shirt, like, that's Larry the Enticer inspired, but I also don't want to like get in trouble with copyright stuff. It's yeah, you don't want awesome. denim danger to come after you, dude. He's probably vicious, man. You just hear like <laughs> outside, you hear like ring, ding, 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 and it turns You're off. Like, and you hear like a beer. How is open. that a snowmobile? It's summer. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be a 1970s like squared out snowmobile, and he's just gonna be yelling like "fucker, get down here!" I'll be like, "Oh god." <laughs> And he like throws a beer at your head. Yeah. Did I tell you one of my one of my coworkers gave me a Larry Enticer sticker that says "Just gonna send it." That's badass. Like it is a picture of Larry, and the words "Just gonna send it." I'm gonna put it on the switchblade if it ever gets here. Hopefully, I heard they have frames in, so hopefully, I will see something this week. I'm sure people get sick of hearing it, but we were on the lift today doing some Deer Valley uh, lift runs, and I was yelling Larry the Enticer stuff at everybody that I saw riding under me. Because <laughs> I couldn't help You were it. that guy. Yeah, I was sober, too. You were that guy at the bike park yelling at people, <laughs> riding a high-post cross-country bike, <laughs> wearing a full-face helmet and spandex. Yep. Nobody passed me. <laughs> all right his second question is think we'll see retailers get more aggressive on pricing for shram 11 speed cassettes now that gx eagle is out 11 speed 1042 is fine for me but the shram cassette pricing seems a bit nuts i'm hoping to avoid the online versus local bike shop discussion for components with this question but hey it's your show thanks john um i don't think shram is as bad as letting stuff go online like super super cheap yeah, the online thing is not an issue with SRAM, so props to them for that. Uh, I'm looking this up right now. There's a new cassette part number that's on quality now that is a mid-tier cassette. So it used to be the cheapest one you could buy retail dollars was like 120 bucks, maybe, the 1150 Now there's going to be an 1175 you can buy from Q, and it's going to be available in about a month, I think. I think it's the 1175 Let's see. Typing noises. Here we go. My only answer to him was if the local bike shop drops a SRAM price, it's going to be because the 
SRAM MSRP has went down, and if the SRAM MSRP goes down, then the internet price will go down as well. So, so it's uh, two hundred dollars retail, three hundred and twenty-five grams, ten forty-two cassette. So, is that going to be like full pinned plus alloy forty-two? I think so. I think so. God, that's really hard to beat. I mean, three hundred twenty-five grams—that's not shabby, and two hundred dollars retail is not. Hold on, I'm pulling up my cassette my my cassette weight chart right now. So oh, sweet. Um, 325, you said? Yes. At least that's what Q says. Um, still going to be lighter than the weight of XTR 1140. Dang. Wow. That's awesome. X01 is about 264. Um, so this is going to be slightly heavier than X1. It doesn't seem like. So here's the weights. 393 grams. For an eleven fifty, that's like the bottom of the barrel, hundred and thirty dollar retail, all pinned, all steel, eleven speed cassette. So that's the eleven fifty. Uh, shoot. And to clarify for people out there, that's not like eleven to fifty tooth. That's the series model name is eleven fifty. Oh uh, yeah, that's a. I should definitely specify that. So. Turning on some filters. Shit. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that I, now I can't find them. I must not be in the right spot. Here we go. Range. 1042. Okay. So here are all of the SRAM cassettes. So 1150 is bottom of the barrel. 1175 is coming out here. Well, it's going to be almost two months. 9-1 is the first ship date on that. And then... You jump up to 1180, which is the X01 cassette, if I'm not mistaken. No, that's the X1 cassette. And it's actually pretty damn pricey. And it's 315 grams and it's $275. So it's only 10 grams lighter and it's $75 more. So then you jump up to the X01 cassette, which is $335. And that's just an anodization difference. It's really just an XX1 cassette underneath and then you've got an XX1. So anyway, there's your price tier. So long story short, hopefully this will kind of open up a decent light cassette for 11-speed folks and not just completely destroy you on price. So pretty cool. Yep. Any other questions? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> Always. Uh, let's see here. So... Um, bu- 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 we're actually... I'm going to start over at the top and make sure I didn't miss anything. And then we're going to talk about, we got three more fire round. Larry from Missouri uh, says, Hey, Jerry crew want to share this information with listeners regarding stuck seat post. Um, It is John Lee, the seat post man. Um, And I'll post pictures of this with the show, but he had a KS dropper post that he had mangled and destroyed trying to remove from a jet nine carbon. And he sent his bike off to Mr. Lee and he got his bike back and it was like fresh. It looked fine. So I don't know what the hell this dude's doing, but he is getting seat posts out of frames, something fierce. <laughs> so I'll post a okay. link to his business and um, some pictures with the show. Unfortunately, it is across the pond, but back and forth shipping is still cheaper than a new carbon frame. So boom. Um, so that's, that's sorted out. And then, 
We got to make a note here that we answered this. You're deep into Jerry land now. Um, Tyler from Kansas City says it's a real place. Hey, Jerry. Relatively Does he new- know Micah Gordon? I'm yamming. Relatively new listener here, but since you since finding you guys' podcast, I can't get enough. I think I speak for every listener when I say you make my soul-crushing commute almost enjoyable. Um, I'm looking at trying to get into riding single speed for the first time. I'm interested in piecing together my own build over a bit of time. That being said, what do I need to be looking for in a potential frame for the build? I know stiffness is important, but other than that, I'm not sure what frames to look at. I'm not looking to spend a ton as this will be my secondary bike, but I also don't want to get a crap build together that I'll just want to replace as soon as it's done. Thanks for the insight, Tyler from Kansas City. And I followed up, what you trying to get, XC or Nargle speed? So that's a new term that I made. It's a gnarly single speed, so Nargle speed. Um, And then, oh gosh, there's like messages coming from somewhere just... Like broke my brain. It's just all. It's just all machine gun answer. This one. Uh, well, hold on. My question was, uh, he says, great question. Currently riding 150 mil specialized stump jumper six fatty. I know, I know, but I'm one of the few who actually went and dropped the money on a second wheel set, and I enjoy the flexibility for now. Though I find myself rarely taking the 29er wheel set off. Interesting. Really? Ideally, it would be. Oh, an- hmm. It would be an XC style single speed with a short travel fork up front, 120 millimeters or so. Some decent stands wheels like MK3s. Just not sure how to pick a frame. Then once I've got the frame, what else do I need to be considering when thinking through my build? I think I'll enjoy single speed, but there's only one way to really find out. Plus, nerding out over a new build is an enjoyable project. So, I mean, um, there's more than one way to find out, but what's your? You just you, you don't. You can like just not shift, like put it in a gear and don't shift. It's it's not exactly as awesome, but it's but it's you get an idea of what it's how hard it is to pedal up stuff and when what it's like to not be able to pedal faster. Okay, so go. I want to hear yeah. you guys' answer. Kenny, you go first. Uh, my vote personally is I would do something either steel or titanium. Personally, I just wouldn't buy an alloy single speed frame. I would not buy a carbon one. That's just me. Uh, we'll let the we'll let the other folks shoot that down. I just like the ride quality of the steel and the tie, and usually they're pretty damn reliable. Typically, unless you buy some like weight weenie steel or something like that. Um, but that'd be my vote. I really enjoyed my just straight gauge single speed that I had. I had a redline monocoque, and it was a. I mean, the ride quality on it was fantastic. I just really liked it. And I rode a lot of fancier ones. Like I always wanted something like racier or fancier or lighter. And then when I actually rode them, I just didn't really like them that much. Something about it, like this indescribable quality, it just wasn't there. So I just like steel and tie single speed bikes personally. Uh, that's my vote. Other than that, I just put reliable stuff on there because the whole point of having a single speed is to have it be reliable. And I don't even want to go into the whole like, you know, so versus slider and all that kind of stuff. But long story short, whatever you pick and have fun picking it, like projects are cool. I totally agree with that. Everybody loves to like, I think people do pull up spreadsheets and like, hey, price stuff out and find deals on stuff. Like I get it. That's fun. Uh, so do that. But yeah, just reliable. That's that's my vote. I say go for the spot rocker. Is that steel? Yeah. That's the one that I've been racing. Cool. I like it. It's the, and uh, it handles 
really, really well. And I think it's, it's because it's, it's got shorter chain stays than any other bike that I've had. And so you just like, I don't know, you just like drive it around shit and it's awesome. I just, I really, really like it. And it, it takes a 124, it's a 120, spec for a 124 with a 51 offset and it, it just works really well. Sweet. Yep. Matt? You can make it belt drive if you want. All right, you guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. God. Oh, God. Salsa Timberjack, 27.5 plus. I don't know what that is. It's alloy, but it is 27.5 plus. It's boost. It is a pretty decent fork. It comes with a Recon SL120. Um, Praxis Crank, it comes with GX11 speed. Um, and it's all nice stuff. It's boost, and the important part is your your six fatty is going to be boost. So you could pull the nice wheels, the nice twenty nine er wheels off your six fatty. You would have a whole extra eleven speed drivetrain. You could run this single speed. You could run it with gears, and the whole bike ready to ride is fourteen hundred bucks. So I get it. I'm gonna. I'm just. I'm not even playing devil's advocate here. Unfortunately. Building a bike that's compatible with your Stumpy is going to be hard because you're going to have to spend a bunch to get a boost single-speed frame. The spot frame is nearly the same price as this whole bike. Um, so the spot frame is $1,200, and it does do 27.5 plus also. This and this whole, is another thing. This complete discussed. bicycle is $1,400. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said $1,700. No, 27.5 plus, $1,400. Okay. And the, the, the closing argument for this bike, though, is you have to be very careful. If you buy this bicycle and you make it single speed and you change parts on it, you cannot sell any of the parts. Because I strongly feel that if you like it, in the future, you still would want to get an itch to upgrade. So you need every one of those parts to put this back together and sell it. And I know that sounds complicated, but it's still going to be way cheaper than buying a frame and a fork and then all the stuff you need to get it going. So, yeah, as fun as fun as it is building a bike up, and we've discussed this on the show a whole bunch. Unless you're building the retail dollar eight thousand dollar full suspension bike, for example, it's usually not worth it to piece it together. It's just not. So, if you're trying to piece together that fifteen hundred dollar to two thousand dollar bike you're going to get raped when you do it. And if, if you're cool with that, then do it. I think the, the single-speed rocker is $1,200 complete. It's not just the frame. Oh, wait. Hold on. I have the wrong package chosen. Sorry. $4,000 is a bike, isn't it? $3,200 for a complete uh, belt drive single-speed. So, yeah. yeah, I think Matt's got a cool – that's a really cool solution that he found for sure. But just in general, keep in mind, if you can find a complete bike that's 90% there, just do it. And then you can change out the few things you don't like because it's just – at the end of the day, just economically, it's so much more worth it to do that. It's it's so fun to like and have pride to build every last thing yourself, but you're just going to get killed. And the only way you're not going to get killed if it's a, you know like a Niner or a Santa Cruz or a Pivot or something like that that's already pretty pricey. And then building that high-end build is pretty much the same price as their off-the-shelf build. So that's the only time it's worth it. Awesome. So, cool. That's, I got the yawns. Yeah, it's it's 1040 here for me. We got two more. 
No, is it two? Um, Manny from Mexico says, Hey, Jerry, cannot believe it's taking me so long to find you guys. Just imagine a tiny Pueblo in Mexico that is like 100 houses tiny. I'm in that Pueblo (laughs) enjoying past Jerry episodes, especially when you share what you did that week. Thank God this tiny Pueblo in Mexico is part of JRA land. My wife thinks Andrea sounds like Kelly from the Chicken Thistle Farm podcast, which is a compliment because Kelly is cool. And I'll put a link to the Chicken Thistle Farm podcast in the notes. I noticed you guys never talk about Manny Two Forks. Back in the day, I remember having a good time on my old Bridgestone MB3 with an original Manny Two Fork. Am I being reminiscent or do the newer Manny Two Forks suck that much? Keep doing what you do. Manny from Mexico. P.S. I just wanted to add that I have no affiliation nor connected with Manitou Company in any way. <laughs> You're not hey. part of Manitou Mexico? And he sent oh. this as a follow-up email. He says, Manny from Mexico, I have a 2016 Stash 5 with Haven Dropper, a 14 Pugsley upgraded with SLX 1x10 and Hydro Brakes, and a 98 ProFlex, which happily receives handy made-down parts from above. Oh, so. my God. I want to see the picture of the ProFlex. Dude, the ProFlex is the only thing I care about. It's fucking rowdy. I do have a soft spot for like those mid-90s bikes because they were the bikes that I always saw in magazines as a kid that I couldn't afford because I was like 15 or however old I was back then. Oh, man, Kenny, you got to see the – like at Absolute, there's a bike museum with all of those like circling. It's it's basically the – So cool. The all around the – ceiling of the entire shop there are all of these bikes and they're like period correct yeah whenever i see a customer bring in a bike with like old 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 school like eight or nine speed xtr and you know it's like a klein or some other weird bike i'm just like so happy i'm like trying to find ways to get that bike rolling again they're like well should i just get a new bike i'm like no you're not allowed (laughs) to buy a new bike (laughs) you must keep this going forever so did he have a question or did we just like drool, start drooling on the ProFlex? He was asking about Manitou's and if they're oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They're pretty bad. They're Yeah, yeah. they're heavy. I wouldn't buy one. They're heavy. I would actually, I would go as far as to say if a bike came with one, I would replace the fork <laughs> before I rode it. I would sell it as a takeoff before I even rode it. Well, all right. So Matt feels strongly about that. Yeah. Oh, I have another little random tidbit here. Uh, I have a question. Oh God. I haven't really ridden them yet. Uh, but the, <laughs> the Olin suspension, I'm really intrigued by it. Cause it's like super ball and Swedish stuff. And they put them on like, yeah, we know, only have larges in our demo bikes at the shop. They seem just like an awesome suspension company. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately we've had two specialized go out the door with, uh, Olin's front and rear and both of them exploded front and rear in like the first week. Oh so, wow. Both of our demo bikes that have Olin's are fine. So it does not bode well so far. Except uh, one of them, you know, when someone takes out a bike that retails for like, I don't know, between eight and $10,000. Send it. You just, you're kind of like, well, they're not going to fuck something dumb up. He didn't know that you had to loosen the pinch bolt on the fork to take the front wheel off and promptly went outside and while trying to put it in his car, um, didn't just strip out the through axle on the fork, like broke chunks of it apart, trying to get it out of the bike. <laughs> so nice. nice. Yeah. No, these were customer bikes. Like they bought them. Yeah. And then they exploded and they brought them back. Yeah. We haven't had, like we've had, we have two large demo bikes and they get 
used as much as what you think like an, a nice Olin's demo bike would get used as, you know, like in a busy shop in the summertime. And we, we haven't had any problems with them. In fact, one of them, I believe was a brand new bike on the floor and we put air in the rear shock and like I bounced up and down on it or somebody bounced up and down on it a couple of times and then it, it broke. <laughs> so, uh, maybe Manitou is better than Olin's. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> okay. Next question. It's not even really a question. Um, it came through on Facebook and I didn't get the name cause Ben just forwarded it to me. Um, but all the wheels talk on the show has me wondering if y'all have laced up any light bicycle carbon hoops yet. I had my local bike shop, Bauerhaus Boise, build the 27 by 40, and I think they are think they are way better than any rim I've ever run. I've bent and broken many wheel sets. The LB is holding strong even after racing the Grand Junction 40 off-road. Um, I don't know. What wheel sets have you broken in the past? Like, are they Alex? Matters. Alex wheels. None of that matters. It's just that light bikes. I don't think we're in. We're not the customer. Would you agree? I don't know. Kenny, what you've built more wheels than Matt and I have. The reason that I don't personally run light bikes is because I work at a bike shop and I can get deals on like real shit that has a warranty. That is honestly probably fairly equal in quality. Um, I mean, those do look exactly like Roval wheels. When my cost is, you know, on a proper wheel is the same as a light bike wheel then you know why would i ever do that so that's why i don't i've never owned any but i've definitely built probably 10 to 20 sets of light bike rims in various forms fat bike and everything else under the sun and the actual light bicycle brand ones seem to be pretty legit i never had a problem with them i've never seen anybody break them personally uh, I think they some of their old, 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 like kind of first gen stuff were pretty sketchy. Um, but obviously they have a following now. So they kind of, you know, and they're getting a brand name that they've built. So it's in their best interest to keep that a good name, in my opinion. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to tell people not to buy them. Um, I would much, if somebody's going to hand me a wheel I've never heard of before, I would honestly rather it be a light bicycle than something else. So that bodes well for them. I mean, I think. you've heard of light bicycle though. Yeah, but I've actually built them. Oh, okay. I'm saying if somebody handed me wheels, uh, I stated that wrong. When somebody hands me <laughs> wheels that they want me to build up that aren't like NVs or Knox composites or something like that, they hand me some carbon wheels over and they're not like super mainstream pricey stuff like DT Swiss, NV, etc. I would much rather see a modern light bike hoop than some random ass other Chinese Brand. I think so, what you're yeah, trying to say is you have acknowledged you're acknowledging that the light bicycle is a quality. It's almost like a branded non-brand at this point. Exactly. It seems to be pretty damn decent. And this happens in a lot of things, whether it's like electronics or car parts or whatever else. There'll be that person that comes along that like really disrupts the scene and like makes it super duper cheap. And at first people are sketched out by it. And then it just kind of becomes a standard and people are like, okay, cool. And then there are knockoffs of that wheel. So a perfect example in the bicycle industry are the magic shine lights. If you guys remember those. So magic shine was the first person to come in and have, they were made in China, but they had some degree of quality control and some degree of quality support because you could actually talk to a person stateside. He was the distributor for him. He cared. He would fix things if you had problems with them. Uh, 
the problem is ultimately they burned some people's houses down and he went bankrupt. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. That's, I'm not trying to be funny. That's actually that's what happened. Wh- that's why I'm laughing because you're not trying to be funny, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure insurance paid for it. As long as the dog got out okay, it's it's fine. Well, he went bankrupt as a business and I think it really like hurt his family and all kinds of other stuff. It was It was pretty bad from what I heard. Like the guy lost like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not like a million dollars, like gone. Because he decided to do that battery recall, basically, and he was just done. But anyway, uh, the deal is I think they're pretty decent wheels. But yeah, the Magic Shine thing. So back on the market disruption, Magic Shine came along. Nobody had an LED light that was bright, that was like it sort of worked, and no one else could touch it. Everyone else's decent stuff that was LED was three or four or $500 for the setup, and the Magic Shine was 100 And people bought that shit like crazy. And then there were now there's knockoffs of knockoffs of knockoffs that are like, God knows how sketchy and burning lots of houses, down. (laughs) lots of houses burnt down. So anyway, long story short, light bicycles, I wouldn't be too sketched out by them at all. Like I would ride a pair personally. I'll put it that way. All right. That's it. That was a lot of questions. Holy shit. They haven't, they have an asymmetric, uh, cross country wheel now, dude. That's balling. <laughs> Why can't Envy do that? Shit. They probably will with that next rim that comes out. But yeah, they freaking better, man. Why? Why would you not do asymmetric, man? But yeah, light bike, man. Asymmetric XC wheel. Is the two two? Is the Envy two two asymmetric? I'm gonna look that up real quick. Uh, While you look that up, I have my I have no my idea. mini rant that I just have to say something. All right, okay. quick. Oh. Uh, I did see where someone was like bragging about how steep a seat tube angle was on a bike that they designed. And it's like that helps you get over the front end of the bike more. Um, so you can pedal up hills better on this slack ass bike. And I think that's kind of bullshit because if you want to pedal up hills well, you need to have a good bike fit. And where your seat is in relation to your bottom bracket is going to determine how well you can pedal up those hills. And your seat tube angle is kind of other than affecting like how you're actually how far forward or backward you're able to move your seat or how much setback you need on your seat post. Like that's just it's it's just bullshit to be like if you can sit right on top of your bottom bracket, you can pedal up hills better because you're gonna keep the front end of the bike down. They're, they're basically be- saying we're going to fuck up your bike fit and somehow that's going to make you a better climber. No. Yeah. So I've heard the other side of this argument with some pretty good fact, which is when you're on this 170 mil motherfucking shred sled and you point the thing uphill, your fork has no compression. It's like not even sagged. And then your rear is oversagged. So you have to cheat listening to and it was in like the last path you you almost have to like cheat your seat tube angle for when you're actually pedaling the bike so you don't pedal the bike on downhill stuff because the seat's down and you're holding on and shredding the sled right so you need to artificially a different way to put it is if you don't have a fit that accounts for that that's when things are a problem so now you have to change your bike fit in order to be able to pedal your bike uphill. No, you're not listening. 
you're setting your bike fit up for the sag that you're going to encounter when the bike is being pedaled. Right. That's what I mean. Like you probably don't, like if we set you up, if you went to a fitter and you set yourself up for like biomechanically optimal pedaling, then how you have to adjust that in order to account for making your bike sag is going to be different than biomechanically optimal. No. I think what Matt's saying is you have to like, it's kind of a different bike. You're basically fitting yourself on a bike that's pointed at a funny angle. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Or you have to have a fitter that understands that when you get your bike set up, It's it's like looking at a bike like my top fuel. When you look at my top fuel, you think this guy's an idiot. His seat points down just a tiny bit. And then like when the suspension is sagged, my seat's level. And it's like the same idea, but it's the bike moves. Up. I mean, when you have that much travel and then you put no weight on the front tire and all the weight on the rear tire, you're not changing your bike fit. That's what you're saying that I don't agree with. You're... I think you're acknowledging the position of the bicycle when it is being pedaled and setting the bike up to biomechanically support you for the best pedaling when the bike is being pedaled. That's what I'm so you're not changing it, you're just having to set it up more carefully. Right? We'll just have to agree to disagree. I understand what you're saying. So I want to point something out, taking a step back. I'm just looking at Light Bike's website. I haven't been on it in a year or two. It's like kind of nice now. I'm impressed. Like they got a little wheel builder on here. You can build like DT Swiss hubs and shit. I don't know if they're like building these in China and sending them over here. Like I I don't understand what's happening right now. This is freaking insane. I just priced out a Boost Hub, Sapem CX Ray, DT240, setup 28 hole front and rear on their xc 23 mil internal rim it's 1180 dollars and weighs 1390 grams jesus and you just like buy it on the website wow that's that's fucking insane and they actually do have some kind of customer support i guess so wait it oh there's even like a north american website now i'm gonna have to do some research this is kind of like I'm kind of blown away. I'm very interested to see. I'm sure there's an FAQ or something like where they build these wheels and uh, like, are they, is China buying DT Swiss parts, building those things in China and then shipping over here to the US? Freaking crazy, man. The world's ending. All right. Is the show ending also? Yes. All right. Yeah. The show is brought to you by Chainstay Splints and Chainstay Splints again. Good night.